Amen. That's, that's pretty good preaching right there. Um, Bailey and Diane's going to help me start my sermon this morning. I want to share something. Come and see what God has done. Does God speak to you sometimes when we're just worshiping? I tell you, he gave, he gave me a word, and I, I could have just given it to Brenda alone, but this is what I heard God say, Brenda. Come and see what I've done with a kid from Harpersville. Come and see what I've done with a young girl from Cross City, Florida. Come and see how I brought them together. Come and see what I've done in their children's lives. Come and see what I'm doing in their grandchildren. In your dreams, in your prayers, God is attending to them. And he has hardly started with them. Come and see what God has done. Amen. Lord of all creation. 
great song the imagery captured in that did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new this child that you delivered will soon deliver you isn't that great did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod and when you kissed your little baby you kissed the face of God. And one more. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Boy, does it capture the mystery and the majesty of that entire thing? And inspired, one of my, it's become one of my favorite Christmas songs. I could hear it every day and wouldn't get tired of it. Again and again, I guess Mark Lowry wrote that song. Uh, as, as goofy as he can be, he did pretty good right there. Um, but he keeps asking, does Mary realize what's in this little bundle, this little boy, as she's holding him and, you know, just kissing on his cheek and all the things that mom does with babies, right? Somewhere this song kind of settles, though, in between uh, what is known as the Immaculate Conception and somewhere where Mary is just like a person who has a part in the Christmas program. You know, she was just there. Somewhere in the middle of all that is this dynamic that she not only gave birth to the Savior, she raised him. Think about this. She raised the greatest disciple maker ever. Now, we might say, well, it wasn't up to her, but the Lord entrusted her with him. 
God entrusted this woman from Nazareth, this young woman from Nazareth, with caring. Um, I used to think the Immaculate Conception referred to Jesus' conception. I mean, you know, that's not what it refers to. My good friend Max Russer, who uh, was one of these um, <clears throat> probably lifelong Catholics that he spent seven years in a monastery in Rochester, New York, complete silence. The only thing they could say or utter sounds is to sing in Latin hymns and psalms. They couldn't talk to each other. It was this monastic life of silence and commitment to God, serving whatever way. And seven years into that, he had a transformational encounter with Jesus went back on his pledge to being a monk, came out of that, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and felt like that God had called him to help other Catholics come to a revelation of Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit. He was telling me what the Immaculate Conception was all about. That it was the idea that for Mary to have the Holy Child inside of her, she had to be conceived supernaturally, and without original sin. She had to be holy in order for her <clears throat> to have Jesus, who is holy. And boy, does Mark Lowry kind of shoot that to pieces, right? That your baby has come to make you new. That she needed salvation as much as anybody else needed salvation. And we see all through the scriptures, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 2 here in just a moment, if you want to go ahead and turn there. This entire wonder of God becoming flesh in her, becoming one with us. Jesus was of human race. This was Mary that conceived him supernaturally. This was of her. That was the human side. Of Jesus, And it's kind of hard to, to say that because he's 100% human, 100% God. Not half and half, but 100% fully man, fully God, yet without sin. Yet without any, any semblance of anything wrong. He never once stepped over a line of temptation in any way. How'd you like to have him for a two-year-old? <clears throat> what a two-year-old. <laughs> you wouldn't believe my child. Does everything I tell him to do. And yet, here we are in this little window, small window of a relationship between Mary and Jesus I want us to look at. Luke gives us more about Mary's uh, life than the other three Gospels. So this is why we're going to Go to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read here just a little bit from verse 16. Mary is told great things by the angel Gabriel, and she believed him, um, that her conception would be supernatural. She knew she was a virgin, and he explained, and she said, okay, that's fine. And she was willingly embraced that idea. Elizabeth prophesies over Mary when they meet, and later on after she has the baby, and takes him in at the time of her purification. Simeon, an old prophet, prophesies over the baby. And here comes Anna, a prophetess. He speaks over the baby. She speaks over the baby. So here's Mary having all of this input 
about the one that Mary was holding in her arms. Mary, did you know the one holding in your arms would do all the things that these prophets and these scriptures said he would do? Well, do you think she knew? We're going to kind of examine that. Here's Mary and Joseph find themselves in Bethlehem. She's very much pregnant, very close to her due date. And sure enough, when they get there for the registry, for the taxation, she goes into labor, and they have that baby. Wherever the manger was, whether it's in a barn, a cave, a, you know, a shed, whatever, she had that baby right there. And unless Joseph had some help, he, he delivered. He helped deliver that child. And before that evening is over, they have this entourage of farmers that show up in the maternity ward. (laughs) Smelly shepherds. And this is where we pick it up in Luke 2.16. The shepherds get this message from the angel, and they say, here's the sign you're going to find a baby somewhere wrapped up in strips of cloth in a feeding trough. That, that's a pretty good... That eliminates most, most babies, doesn't it? <laughs> so this is where it picks up. The shepherds hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told, said to them. Told them, so... Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, here's where I think we, we get the idea that they left, they left the maternity ward and left Mary and Joseph and the baby and went and told everybody else what the angel said. I think the first people that heard what they had experienced was Mary and Joseph. And so here they have this baby in kind of an anonymity. Alone in this place, just the two of them. No fanfare, no family waiting, no, you know, celebration as a firstborn is born. There they are alone with this baby. And shepherds show up and says, we've just been visited by angels. And I believe that is what verse 19 refers to. That Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You think about the nine months these two people had been through. You think about their wedding plans were shot. Mary's miraculous conception took place. Joseph has encounters in his dreams with an angel. The pregnancy and the necessity to travel to Bethlehem at the worst time in the pregnancy for traveling. No vacancy sign everywhere. They end up having this baby in a stable somewhere. And it says they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Luke, being a physician, is very meticulous about his recording the stories. He's all about details, details, details. And he says, Mary, this is Luke giving us years later. How did he know that? Well, either he knew it supernaturally or it came to him by narrative from someone else. That Mary, through the course of... Of the days ahead, she treasured these things, meaning uh, the word comes from holding on to something valuable. It has as much idea of keeping and laying hold of something and not letting go of it than putting a value to it. This is, this, she's holding on to these words. And it says she pondered them, meaning 
It's kind of like a word about collecting things together and piece by piece and kind of arranging them. It's kind of like she had an internal journal that she was charting all of these things. And as you get down below in the rest of chapter 2, and we're going to read in verse 41 in just a moment. Think about this. Luke chapter 2 covers on the minimum 12 years of Jesus' life. From his birth to 12 years of age, and if you take the last sentences of chapter 2 through his teens, through his 20s, those verses could apply to everything or to bring him to the time of his call into being in ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist. But look at Luke chapter 2, verse 41. This is the only window we get into the life of Jesus from his birth to his ministry. Now, we do know that probably at the age of two, wise men came and found him in the house that they were living at the time. The Bible says they came to the house, not a stable. And they gave him these gifts. And, of course, Herod found out that he was tricked and he killed all the babies from two years and under. So we do know that, but there's not much we know about what happened in Egypt. I know they made a movie about the young Messiah and that's all speculative. But the only window we have at Jesus between this early child and his ministry is this right here. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to that custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, that's like four days, one day of journey away, they come back, and three days it takes for them to find him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, the Bible professors of that day, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said this to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And this is the 12-year-old Jesus' reply. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now Luke adds this thought in verse 51. Mary treasured all these things in her heart. In the word, there's a different word than the treasure earlier. This has to do with rehearsing things, going back through things. Now, there's 12 years that's happened between what we read first of that. In the, in the paternity ward, she's treasuring things. 12 years later, now it's kind of like maybe pricking her, her wonder again. Like, wow, this, this is amazing. And he's, he's realizing who he really is. But did she really know all the dynamics 
going on within this 12-year-old's life? I doubt it. You know, was he a typical parent? They couldn't find him in four days, and they were just a little bit put out with him. Whatever you think about Mary, if you don't read what I read and come to the same conclusion, she says, why have you treated us like this? I kind of think she was scolding him. <laughs> why did you treat us like this? You, you stayed intentionally behind without going with us. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That's typical parents if they can't find their children. And when he told them what was going on in his mind, what does it say? That they did not understand what he was saying to them. Mary, did you know? At that point, we could say, no. She didn't know. What was that about? And I know some translations have, I must be about my father's business. Actually, there's no word there for business or our house, it has to do, I must be about what my father's about. I must be about what he wants. This is why I'm here. He wasn't in disobedience to them. They left and he stayed. They left him. He didn't leave them. He was in Jerusalem. Now we can kind of like, that wasn't disobedience. He just got caught up in doing what his heavenly father wanted him to do. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house or at my father's business? Doesn't this let us know a little bit the challenges that Mary had being a woman, being of this who we are, trying to balance who he is? Isn't that amazing? I think she's doing a pretty good job myself. But the very next statement Luke records is that he went home to Nazareth with him and was obedient to them. He submitted himself. He did what he was supposed to do. All this time, the reality, and this is a, this is a fluid thing. He is growing in this. He's just beginning to understand. He's 12 years of age. It's 18 years before he preaches his first sermon. 18 years. He's already knowing that he's supposed to be about learning, about grasping things, asking questions, probing, being curious, having a discovery. You know, no matter where I go, I usually end up in some kind of conversation with theology with people. And I made a quick little trip this week out of town. And sure enough, here I find myself right in the middle of disagreeing with someone. I know you probably find that difficult that I would disagree with someone. But this particular person made this statement, well, when it's time for you to die, you'll die whether you're in a, having a heart attack in a chair or walking out and getting hit by a truck. I said, so, how could that be that someone actively makes a decision when you're dying of a heart attack, you don't make a decision in that? But if you walk out into the street, that kind of makes it a little bit more clear that something's about to happen to you. So, so how is that set in stone? But this was my follow-up. 
Because he just believed everything was set. People die when they're supposed to die, and they can't do anything but die when they're supposed to die. And you know how I feel about the God is in control thing. Don't ever tell me that. God is sovereign, and that's better than control. And if you need me to explain it to you, I'll be glad to after service. But I ask him this. I says, what's the fifth commandment? What's the fifth commandment? Somebody. Honor thy father and thy mother so that it's the, it's the only commandment with promise. I believe Jesus said it's the only commandment that has a caveat to it of promise. So that your days may be long. And the antithesis is this. If you don't honor your father and mother, you're shortening your life. I said, so how is that set in stone? How could that be when there's a promise that is conditional to children? If you honor your father and mother, it creates an atmosphere around that you can live longer. And that was the end of the discussion. (laughs) Jesus respected his parents and honored them and was obedient to them. And that would lead to a, a couple of strange exchanges with Jesus and Mary in his adult ministry. And the first one I'm going to take you to is John 2. And, the, and we'll just hit these real quick. And Mark 3 is the other, if you want to find those two places. John 2 begins with a wedding about five and a half miles away from Nazareth in a town called Cana. So it's probably the relatives or close friends that they've walked the five and a half miles to attend a wedding the refreshments run out, the wine is run out, and some, the word spreads from the person who's in charge of the reception that they are out of the refreshments, the wine. And Mary comes to Jesus and challenges him to do something. And here's his reply, woman, why do you involve me? Could they be not on the same page? Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come. Mary, did you know that your child could fix a problem? Yes. But did you know the schedule? No. So she didn't completely know everything, but she kind of forced his hand when she turned around and told the people that were serving the refreshment, just do whatever he tells you to do. And he didn't have to do anything, but I guess he went ahead and off schedule did his first miracle by saving the wedding reception. But another one that's even more interesting is Mark 3. And Mark 3 starts with, with, uh, or around verse 21, this is the verse I'm going to refer to, and you can find that section. Jesus and the disciples come into a house, and it's so raucous inside that house, it's so crowded, it says that they couldn't even have a meal in the house. And the crowd that was in the house was hostile to him. And they were accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed, that he was, he was creating 
an atmosphere of demonic activity. And his family heard about this. And in verse 21, you know, they, they had heard that something was going on at the house, so they thought he was insane, that he was deranged. He had lost his mind. Are you following me? And I think from family, it would mean his mother and his siblings. And so they go to intervene. And in Mark 3, verse 32, once you, the crowd sitting around him, they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. They are outside looking for him because they thought he had lost his mind. Mary, did you know that Jesus does not lose his mind? Did you know that he is not fitting your template? He is fitting the template of his Father in heaven. The same thing that happened when he was 12. She didn't know why he stayed back. She couldn't understand that. And she didn't understand it when he tried to tell her. And yet he was caught in the middle of being honorable to her, but also honorable to his heavenly Father. And she thought something's going wrong with him. And look what Jesus responded to them saying, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Are you there? Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, was he being disrespectful to them? What he was actually declaring is my family is growing. I'm not just related to them, but I'm related to everyone who's listening to the God that I'm here to show you. And all those who know the will of God, they're related to me. Mary was entrusted. It's an amazing thing that she was entrusted of conceiving and raising through all the age brackets of a child and youth. All the way into adulthood, Jesus as a son of God. But she was human. She was not divine. She wasn't perfect. Sometimes she got it. It looks like sometimes she struggled to understand what was going on with him. Now, obviously, and I'm going to close with this. Obviously, her heart was shattered when she saw what happened to him after he was arrested. But not once, not once, do you find her ever trying to intervene in the situation? In fact, if you just go through and look at the times what Mary is referenced, she doesn't have a major role in his ministry. She just shows up just spot, just a few places in his ministry. She is in Acts 1 where she's with 120 that's baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's the last we hear about Mary. We don't hear about her through any of the epistles. She had, she had a major role, but it's not like she was featured in Scripture. But Mary, did you know that Simeon was right when he said a sword would pierce your heart? And she would say a resounding yes. It shattered her to see what was being done to her son. And yet I do believe that by this time she knew that it was the purpose of God, that he was 
here to save his people from their sins, and it required the cross to do that. So why should it matter? Why should this relationship between Jesus and Mary matter to us? Jesus, the oldest child in the family, this was their social security system. It's not like what we have. When a woman lost her husband and became a widow, it was specifically the oldest child's responsibility to take care of her. And it was the family's responsibility. That's why the New Testament says, help those who are widows indeed, meaning they're not just widowed, they're widowed without relatives. Be sensitive to people who do not have a safety net underneath them of family. But Jesus, the oldest, was entrusted to the care of his mother. And while he's hanging on the cross, one of the things he takes care of is that last responsibility. When he sees his mother standing next to John, and he says, John, this is now your mother. And he speaks to his mother and says, this is now your son. And tradition says that John took care of her. And most people said, believe that she passed away in Ephesus where John did most of his ministry. But here's where I want to just draw a connection to us here today. What does this have to do with us? Mary's understanding was fluid. Um, so many of you guys can come up. Mary, Mary was, isn't, wasn't, don't you see Mary was growing with this awareness of what to do? Sometimes she, she hit it, sometimes she was off the mark. But she, she was just trying to figure out what was going on. But she was growing, she was increasing. Can I ask you this? What is waiting for you to increase in? What area that you're at right now is waiting for you to grow? For you to increase in? Now, here's four ways. Like four ways the boy grows was taken from this. He grew in wisdom, mentally, stature physically, favor with God spiritually, and men socially. That's where the Royal Rangers get their four ways a boy grows. Now, I've increased all I want to physically. And I'm, I'm done with increasing physically. It's all right if I decrease a little bit physically. I need to do that. But I do want to increase in wisdom. I especially want to increase in favor with God. And I want to increase my capacity to influence people for the kingdom of God. And if we ever stop, we're done. We become useless to God. The only way that we are more and more useful to God is if we're getting closer and closer to who He wants us to be. Not who we're satisfied to be. May God create a holy dissatisfaction in us not to stay where we are, but to increase in our capacity to understand spiritual disciplines, to increase in our ability to submit ourselves to God on a daily basis, giving Him everything we are and everything we don't even know we can be, but trusting Him to make us a 
who he wants us to be. And to get out of our shell and our bubble of self-protectionism and become vocals for his kingdom. To be announcers and heralds of the good news. God, help us to open our hearts this morning and ask him to intentionally challenge your status, your place that you are at right now, because I don't think we will move much unless God begins to disturb us. Do you realize when God spoke in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, he had every right to say at the start of that statement, he had every right to say it this way. Those who used to be my people, if they will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. But he didn't say it that way, did he? He said, if my people who have my name on them, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, meaning there's, there's space there. There's space for us to get closer to God, repent of their sins, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. You know, some of us may have the sin of complacency. I'm, I'm okay with who I am. Why should I, why should I be concerned about Anything else, I'm, I'm okay. You just, you just told me you're not okay. Because <laughs> you're like me, you're like, I don't get it. What, what, what's your, what are you talking about? Press to get closer to God. I love what you said. He came so that we could bring our worst in exchange for his best. But you realize, if we tried to bring our best, that's still like filthy rags. <laughs> Isn't that what he said? That our righteousness is as filthy rags. We think, man, I got it together. Watch it. We need God to have it together in us. Would you stand with me? And as we sing this, we want you to come for the communion service Saturday night at 6. Great time. Or Sunday morning at 10. And what I actually said to Larry is that we won't, we won't punish you for coming to both. But if you don't make it back for either one, Merry Christmas. But the thing you need to give to God is yourself this morning. And before you leave here, before you walk out of here, would you just tell him, Lord, I don't know how to get closer to you, but I want to. You're going to have to help me. And some of you may want to come to the altar while we sing this. Lord, I want increase. I am definitely in the group that wants increase. I need to know more. I need to have his favor more. And I need to be better with people. I need to be more influential with people. It is so great to share the plan of salvation. And I find myself in places where the door, because I am intentional, Lord, if you'll give me an open door, I'll jump through it. And he, is, he opens doors that I couldn't imagine him 
opening for me. And I'm not an extrovert person, no matter what you think about me. That, that is not my nature. When I think about what the Lord done for my kid from Harpersville, wow. But could you just come and say, Lord, I want to increase. I want to increase in every way like you want to increase me. Come and pray.